everything that happens with them happens, you know, he's so dumbstruck. He's like, I know you've been coming on to me. You've been helping me. She's like, because you're my boyfriend's brother. <laughs> like, right. She says that to him. She goes, I, she's like, I love Ryan. Like, I love him. Like, why are you doing Like, why are you doing this? Hello everyone, this is Alex. And this is Anne. Welcome to the latest po- episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for nostalgic Gen X and millennials and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what was just a bit problematic about our TV, about the TV and movies we're addicted to. And do a little bit of rewriting where necessary. Today's episode is part two of our recap of Fox's hit teen drama, The O.C. As Alex mentioned in our last episode, The O.C. is the blueprint for many modern day teen dramas. With this series, the magic was in the details. From dialogue to wardrobe and makeup to camera angles and scenery, The O.C. was beautiful in every stage from writing to execution. This love letter to Orange County and Newport Beach is an iconic piece of pop culture. So what do we think of the latter of the series? Stay, Stay tuned. Um season so season 2 Right. Um, season two. You can talk about season two. Let's. Where did where did we end up in season two? Well, it's season one. Um, Brian ends up leaving. Um, because Teresa, his um, one of his prospective love interests and his ex from back home, and Chino tells him that she's pregnant. And in this season, we also learn that Teresa was being um, physically abused by her fiance, Eddie. Why did this girl have a fiance at 17 years old before she even knew about the pregnancy? Inquiring minds want to know. Why isn't Teresa in school? Inquiring minds want to know. But that's what it is. Ryan decides to step up and, you know, do right by her and help her take care of the baby whom we're not even certain is his yet. And Seth is so in his feelings that Seth runs away from home. Well, she tells him it's his. She tells him it's his baby. Oh, Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. We, the audience, don't know. But yes, she does tell Ryan it's his baby. Yeah, and so Ryan decides to go to leave uh, Newport and to do the right thing. Because he's a fixer. (laughs) He's a fixer. Um, Ryan decides that he's going to do the right thing and go. He goes back to Chino. He leaves Newport. He drops out of school and he gets a construction job working construction. And season two sort of picks up with Seth. I guess being sad that his best friend is now gone. This person that I, I guess really changed Seth's life, changed the trajectory of Seth's life. Uh, his end became his best friend is is now gone, and 
Ryan goes back to the old neighborhood and Sandy and Kirsten are, are trying to deal with both of their children having left. You know, we also see Marissa, Marissa and Julie, Julie being the bad bitch that she has, has secured a bag for herself. Once more time. One more time. And married Caleb Nickel and married into a bunch of money because. And it won't even be the last time. Won't even be the last time because she does not know how to be broke. And, and that's sort of like where we pick up. So in season two, episode one, we, so one thing I really, yeah. So, so one thing I really love about the beginning of this season and one thing that I love about the OC in general is when big sort of events happen. So like this big event happens, right. And finding about Teresa being pregnant and then this huge, and then Ryan leaving and it's causing this huge shift. The OC deals with it. Like the OC deals with it, like in the writing there, they deal with this sort of reset, this and really place the characters in this new normal. And some, and this is something that a lot of shows actually don't do anymore. Like on another show, they would have all these events happen. And then maybe they do like when the seat, and then when the season picks back up, they would do like a time jump and they'd be like three weeks later. And (laughs) you would just sort of like, and everything is sort of like, and all the characters have just dealt with everything off screen. And we're, so we're back at some sort of like normal. And the OC doesn't do that. The OC like really works through it. And I love it. I think it's so good. It's, and it's just not something a lot of people do anymore. So I, I really appreciate it. But we pick up the seats, we pick up and we see Luke. We, Luke, Seth is in Portland with Luke. And it's so nice to check in on Luke and see him living his life out in Portland. We see Teresa and Marissa and Summer and the whole, um, and Ryan is in Chino sort of um, living, I guess, what his life could have or would have always been. Um, like I said, he's working construction job. He's hanging out with Teresa and just and working and just living. The only thing I don't like about it is that, I don't know, I, my mother grew up quote unquote, like poor. And I think there is like a, there's not like a beauty in suffering and there's not like a beauty in struggle, but I think there is a beauty in like a Ryan's just like typical working class. And I think they try to like the show sort of like paints it as like, Ryan being working class is like the worst thing that could ever happen to him in the history of life. And I don't know, like, I don't, I just, I don't know that like, I like that rendering. Yeah. I think I know what you're trying to say, but I think, well, from my perspective anyway, it looked like what the show was trying to do was kind of like show how far Ryan had fallen. It's like you said, this is probably the life he would have always had if he'd never met the Coens. But then when we see that he was just like on the verge of tasting something more and it's pulled away, it's the rug is pulled out from underneath him because of, you know, his bad decision to have unprotected sex with Teresa. We kind of like, it, it, it kind of feels like 
you're being a jolt back to reality. And sometimes that reality can be a harsh reality. Um, what I appreciated about the show is that they didn't set Teresa as some sort of villain who ruined his life. So I appreciated that very, very deeply because so many other shows would have gone that route just because it's easier to like have a scapegoat, to have a person to blame for his situation. Well, I guess that's it then. Like, I don't like this coding of like, Ryan being working class is somehow like lesser than, or like means he's fallen. It just, it just is what it is. Like, and I guess like within the context of the show, it works. And for what the show is, it works. But I don't, I think that's just like a general coding that I'm, I'm annoyed with, which, because I don't think there's anything wrong with being working class. No, I I feel that. And I agree with it. And I think the show was clearly trying to pander to a sort of intellectualism and elitism and classism. And we're counting on even people who might not agree to go along with it because Ryan was a teenager and he had dropped out of high school. But I feel like if they had tried this with Ryan, say, being in his early 20s and dropping out of college, it wouldn't have been received so well because, like you said, more people would have seen it for what it was, which is kind of like looking down on the working class. Like I said, it's great to see Luke. Great to see Luke right. and Luke's dad and Seth and the whole the whole crew. It's good that the show doesn't just, like, like, like we said earlier about this show as well as Buffy, the show doesn't dispose of its characters. Okay, Luke left Newport, but we get to see him again. Anna went back to Pittsburgh, but we get to see her again. Like, we don't, we're not just supposed to, like, like, because you can't introduce these characters and make people care about them and then dispose of them like so many other series do with their characters. Even... Even a villain coming back into a show does great things for audience morale. It kind of gets you back into a place of nostalgia of what the show used to be, let alone someone who was, you know, a beloved part of the supporting cast. It was so great seeing Luke and his dad again, because that's where Seth ran off to. He ran off to Portland, Oregon um, to to stay with Luke and his father, who are having the time of their lives up there. <laughs> they're hanging out and they're having they're having fun. What's the trouble with Marissa Um I think the trouble with Marissa is, I don't think there's a trouble with Marissa. Marissa is like probably the least complex character on the OC uh, on a show full of like complex characters. Like even Summer is given more depth than Marissa, especially in the second season. Um, I think the problem with Marissa is really a problem with the viewers and Ryan. We want Marissa to be different than what she is. We, we think that she can be saved and pulled out of this dark place that she that she is shown as having existed in for quite some time from the very first episode. Yeah, but we and Marissa's, you know, trying to find, I guess, like a new Ryan in DJ. (laughs) It's awkward. So DJ is like the first like Latino person who's like showed up on the show, which is wild because like if you California, like Mexico is like right there. Um, so it's like California, particularly Southern California has like a ginormous, uh, uh, Latino population. Um, and, uh, DJ is probably like DJ is mestizo and he's the lawn person. Oh God. At this show. Once again, white people, they try. 
you know, they're trying. And I guess that's all you can do. But so hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Wasn't Teresa the first Latina on the show? Oh, that girl ain't white. That's true. She's <laughs> other. Yeah, that girl ain't white. That's true. <laughs> she looks so ambiguous, I forget. <laughs> She's like... I thought she was either Latino or perhaps Arab, um, but like her character, I think it's supposed to be coded Latina. Like her name is Teresa. Her mom's really religious. Um, oh, you're right. She is coded as Latina. You're right. I'm sorry. Listen, yeah. casting. It's okay for people to be dark skin. That's it. That's <laughs> all I got. Like I don't know what else to tell you. Right. Like we were just talking about Afro Latinos <laughs> earlier, but like. We know that there is a Latino that exists between white and black. Like, give me some of the the, the brown George Lopez looking ass dudes, please. Please, like, <laughs> help, help me. Like, don't. Do I get that. Like, you're in society. They out here. They're out here, and I get like you guys are really committed to this white supremacy thing. So everybody has to be as light as humanly possible. But I really would like it if you could consider that, like. Uh, brown skin, brown and black Latinas exist. Hollywood. Right. Let's just try it. Let's let's just let's just do something crazy and let's try it. Like Roswell, New Mexico. That white girl. That they're so. <laughs> thin, I'm telling you, she's Latina. She's white. I'm like oh, even Melanie Diaz couldn't make me watch that show. And people who know me know that I stand Melanie Diaz so hard. But even she couldn't get me to watch that show. Oh, no, sorry. Like Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, 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 Roswell. I'm sorry. I thought we were back on Charmed. Um, no. yeah. I'm not. She's I have. I had no interest in Roswell. <laughs> The girl, they're like, oh, she's Latina. Like, she's like, oh, because you think I'm brown. This girl is a whole bitch from Spain. Like, a whole bitch from Spain. <laughs> like, in the pilot episode, she's like, you think because I'm brown, you're going to stop me at this checkpoint? I'm like, girl, a whole Spanish bitch. Like, I can see it. <laughs> like, that's Europe, honey. Like, I don't even. Like, what are you talking about? Who wrote hey. this? It's super annoying when white Latinos, especially those who don't have. Stop. Stop. Stop, baby. Stop. stop. <laughs> it's not I'm stopping you. Penelope Cruz. But yeah, uh, back to this Marissa and DJ situation, DJ girl. situation. She's so, had, You talk. You talk. Um, what I was going to say about DJ is he is her family's yard worker. And like, your first instinct is to scream, like, this is incredibly racist. And it is. But it it's is. also incredibly accurate. I was about to say, it's very on-brand for, like, a white girl. It is so on-brand, not just for Marissa as a person, but for Newport Beach as, like, a structure. Where she would meet someone like DJ would be in this capacity, where he's a domestic laborer. And it is so on-brand for the white girl to date the brown guy or the black guy to piss off her parents. I was, yes. Like, you know, in a sense, I was like... In a sense, it's annoying, but in a, in another sense, I was like, you know what though? This is on fucking brand. Like this is this is accurate. Like I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't know that I'm going to really be against it because it feels real. Right, it feels real. It, I don't think it would have felt real if DJ had been cast as a white dude. It wouldn't have felt real. Like we know that Julie is classist as fuck, but she's already dated a poor white guy. <laughs> She's dated Ryan, you know. So she just gotta. She had to like step it up a notch, you guys. She did. She had to up up the. She had to up the ante. Now Ryan comes back home 
when um Teresa lies about miscarrying because she sees how unhappy she is. He is. And Teresa's better than me, y'all. She lies because she sees how Ryan's unhappy and tells him that she has a miscarriage and encourages him to go back to the Coens, which he does. And when he does, like, Seth comes home, too. Now, with Seth and Ryan in this situation, I want to reference something that Alex talked about in the last podcast. You were saying how Sandy and in Kristen's different parenting styles. And I was talking about how they, they also differ apparently based on whom they're dealing with. When, when Ryan left, Kristen was heartbroken, but she let him go. When Seth left, she was livid and wanted him right the fuck back home. When it comes to academics, however, um, she, she's, she is, um, she is, but they're both, I think really, really, um, hard on Ryan because they want him to seize these opportunities with Seth. It's like, okay, like you're going to, you want to, you need to get into a good school, but it's probably going to happen for you. It'll probably fall into your lap. You understand? Right. So like different with different situations, like they react very, very differently. Like Chris Kirsten was, I think justifiably upset that Seth had what was really grieving, but came off like a full on temper tantrum and like ran away when Ryan left. And she's like, you better get my son back home, Sandy. Right. Like with the underpinning, like our marriage depends on you getting this kid back in the house. Right. And something that in with those sort of two different parenting styles, it, it comes to backfire on them later because like Seth doesn't get into Brown. Like he doesn't get into school. Like, he applies, but he doesn't get in because uh, he doesn't have the grades. And I appreciate that the show shows that, that like um, uh, how their own biases sort of, you know, their biases sort of play out in that manner with their blood child not succeeding the way that they think he's going to succeed. Uh, but in but before we get to that, that's later on. Um, but before. So. Then we sort of have this Lindsay, Lindsay plot that's happening. Lindsay is somebody that, uh, and it's for Lindsay, somebody like new at new at Harbor and caught up in this. And she's like a figure that's caught up in this like investigation into Caleb. And we find out that Lindsay is like Caleb's daughter from like another woman making her like Kirsten's half sister. And then the Lindsay and, and Lindsay's like a teenager. Rather, she's like uh, 17. And then Lindsay and Ryan start dating, which is, I mean, I guess they're into each other before they're into each other before um, anybody knows that she's Kirsten's half sister. But I do like it for the sole purpose of, um, Look at Ryan, like growth, like Ryan being with somebody who he doesn't have to try to fix. Girl, okay, I was just about to say this shit. So, like, <laughs> I really didn't see it for um, for Lindsay and Ryan, and this sounds bad, but I think she was a good in between girlfriend. I think he needed like a respite between Marissa and whomever he was going to try to make it last with. And Lindsay was the perfect person for that because like Alex said, he didn't have to fix this girl. Like there were problems in and around her life, but none of her doing, you know, she can't help who her father is. And as far as the Caleb storyline about him having this like 
you know, this child out of wedlock. He had like two daughters with his wife, Kirsten and Haley. And then he has this other child who is like a literal child and is Ryan, Marissa, Seth and Summer's age. Um, this is so on brand also for who Caleb is, a, is as a person to sleep with his secretary and father a child with her. Right. It's that's so Caleb. <laughs> so Lindsay as a character, I think is fine. I think the actress that plays her is fine. At points, they do something with Lindsay that I genuinely dislike, really, and that I think they use situations and they use Lindsay to sort of, like, further, like, male characters' plots and emotions. But something that—a plot point that does come up is some—which is something that I really love because, like you said, um, my whole—because, like you said, this—and I it's— and I'm so obsessed with it, this idea of like love, accountability, and grief. And it's something I'm so obsessed with to the point that I'm using it like now in my own personal writing to make sure that like my characters are are progressing and um progressing and, and are deepening in a way that makes sense. But a plot point that happens is Lindsay and Marissa like meet each other and Lindsay's intim- like in rightfully in very much intimidated intimidated by Marissa and you know Marissa has always had like a drinking problem and so Ryan stupidly on to be honest on his part like is like encourages Lindsay to go hang out with Marissa and Summer and Alex who we'll get to in a minute and Lindsay gets like dumb dumb drunk and it's fascinating because we sort of, so she gets, Lindsay gets like really, really wasted, which is out of character for her. Cause that's not really who she is. And Ryan has to sort of go and like, you know, do what Ryan does best and try to fix her. And, but when he does, we really get to see like how devastating, like Mar- like Marissa, like their the relationship between him and Marissa was because he has like a big sort of like PTSD like freak out like when Lindsay gets so drunk that she can't like stand up he really just sort of like rails Marissa because he's like why would you do that like why would you like she's not you and we sort of see him like really reacting like having a sort of like PTSD flashback to like all these times that he had to sort of like fix Marissa and like help Marissa and like make sure Marissa didn't go off the deep end. Um, and it's just wonderful to see. And it's just like a really interesting bit of like work and Ben McKenzie does it so well. And uh, it's great to watch. I, yeah, I completely agree with all of that. I remember that episode you're talking about and I think it's so interesting that you saw it as PTSD because I didn't, but you're absolutely right. Like I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm like, she's completely fucking right. Like he's traumatized off this relationship. And like I mentioned in the last episode, Marissa is a lot like Ryan's mom. He had to be the fixer in her life too, because she was also an alcoholic and um, his attraction to Marissa, I think, is deeply seated in his relationship to his mother. But both of these relationships scarred him in a great way. And like Alex said, we didn't really see how much until he sees this happening to Lindsay. He knows she's not that type of person. He doesn't want that type of person anymore. Right. And, and he's, he's like, he's seeing like his past affect his present and he's really not here for it at all. 
And one thing I really, really love about, um, I think there was a part of Ryan after Teresa, when, you know, Teresa lies about the miscarriage and he comes home and like, he comes back into this life and he remembers all that he missed. He does, he, a part of Ryan wants to live more selfishly now, which is something that he never got to do before. A little known fact is that, um, Chad Michael Murray, who went on to play Lucas Scott in One Tree Hill, which debuted the same year as the OC, was originally offered the role of Ryan Atwood and he, he turned it down to play Lucas Scott. But the casting directors really didn't see it for Ben McKenzie at first, but in his later auditions, he embodied this character of Ryan Atwood in a way that no one else, including Chad Michael Murray, had. And that's why he was ultimately given the role. And in it's, it's in situations like this where you really see it for Ben McKenzie as an actor, like the amount of emotional intensity that goes into his scenes with like sloppy drunk Marissa, like Marissa on her worst behavior, um, his mom on her worst behavior, times when he is forced to be selfless to people that are really destructive in his life, you really see him shine as an actor. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of... um, Ben McKenzie is very wonderful because I think he... Something that he really embodies, I think with Ryan, I think that's hard to do is that he has, and I think it's just in general, I think a hard thing, a hard thing to come across is this duality of, um, being a person who was like being a person, like, you know, he's being a person sort of forged in fire in that, like, you know, Ryan's poor, like, you know, Ryan has to, be as, you know, Ryan has to like literally fight, right? Like Ryan, because mm-hmm. Ryan, um, and yet maintain this quality of just inner softness and inner sensitivity and emotional intelligence, which Ryan does have a lot of, which is which is a hard thing to do, and he does it. He does it very well, and that's definitely like the the strength. And it's little moments like that, like the like you sort of realizing, no, he's having like a PS PTSD episode of like, Oh my God, this cannot happen again. Um, that you really see it shine through. Cause in another context that could just be read as like him being violent and him just like ganging up on Marissa. And it's not, it's he's having a reaction. Right. And even later on, I believe he apologizes to Marissa. And then like the last frame of that scene, Marissa's like looking all sad white girl. And it's like, but no, you're right. She's not the victim in the situation. Ryan is absolutely suffering from PTSD. And it's actually not the first time he's broken down over her behavior. So in season one, she had gotten drunk at a party was upset with him and tried to, to drive off. And he was like, you know, he ran up to her car just as she peeled off the driveway and he made her like move over so he could get in the driver's seat and drive. 
and she kept on drinking as he was driving and they got, they were pulled over by the police and she tried to hold like the bottle between her feet. And it's only because the officer got, you know, um, got called up on like an, a crime that was happening, a burglary or something nearby that he left and didn't see the bottle at her feet. Cause he was pointing his, his, um, flashlight, flashlight. on their bodies and, He's still on probation at this time, okay? And he's Mm -hmm. a driver, so he would still be responsible for a passenger with an open container. He gets out of the car, goes over to the passenger side. He opens her door, and he just slams it repeatedly. And she's like, Ryan, you're scaring me. And I'm like, I I see it, though. He's intensely frustrated with her behavior. And he's sick of her shit. And so this was actually like a prelude to, you know, the situation Alex brought up where— Lindsay gets like completely shit faced on Marissa's watch and he's just so sick of having to babysit her bad behavior. Right. And justifiably justify it's justifiable. So getting through. So let's talk about Alex a bit. Alex is uh, played by uh, a pre-A-list Olivia Wilde. Um, Shout out to Olivia Wilde, a blonde Olivia Wilde. I feel like Olivia Wilde's brand is definitely dark hair these days. So Alex shows up and is originally like hooking up with Seth. And she's this, you know, tough talking, tough talking, uh, surly bartender. Um, but eventually ends up dating Marissa. God bless. So when Alex comes into the situation, and again, shout out to pre-A-list Olivia Wilde. Um, I really felt like Olivia Wilde did what she had to do with this character, honestly. Um, when she comes into the picture, and she's dating Seth first, you guys. So Alex is a bisexual, and she started dating Seth first, and one of Seth and Summer's many off-again periods. And... Marissa is drawn to her. And I think part of why she's drawn to Alex is because Alex represents to her this sort of like um, freedom and independence that Marissa really wants, but she is in no way, shape or form prepared to actually handle in the real world. This is someone who, you know, um, is an alcoholic, gets sloppy drunk very often and has never even held a job, doesn't know how to pay rent or bills, right? And Alex is shown as someone who's like really holding down her own shit. I think she sees in Alex what she wants to be. And um, she she's very drawn to Alex, like makes excuses to spend time with Alex long before her mother even knows about Alex. Like, like we feel that Marissa's really into her in a way that hasn't been showcased since Ryan, honestly. And you're completely right. Alex represents like a freedom and uh, that Marissa's trying to find. And I mean, it goes left. It goes so left because Marissa, um, Marissa, that like Marissa doesn't even know how to do laundry. Like she, because she moves out of the house and moves in with Alex, and Marissa is trying to do laundry and and turns all the clothes like pink. Yeah. So you know what? I have a theory about Marissa and Alex in particular. I do. I believe that Marissa was, you know actually bisexual and actually attracted to Alex 100%. But I also feel like Marissa had certain expectations of Alex. I think she wanted Alex to be a DJ or Ryan, a guy that was going to step up and fix, try to fix her, take care of her. Alex wanted an equal partnership and Marissa was in no 
form or fashion um, skilled or emotionally prepared for that, for splitting the rent, for doing the laundry, for taking out the trash, for sharing cooking, things like that. She wanted to move in with Alex and just have Alex take care of her and like just be taken care of. In a lot of ways, she wanted to be what she accused her mother of being often. Right. And funny enough, it's like a kept woman. And then, and for the most part, and in their own ways, Ryan and DJ both always took care of Marissa. So that's what she's used to. She's used to being taken care of in some form or fashion. And Alex wasn't really about that. Um, and right. Alex just wanted to share a life with Marissa and Mar- and Marissa wanted Alex Alex's life to be about her. Exactly. So then we have, so then sort of going on, in these other storylines, you have Sandy. Sandy's like ex, I think, love of his life shows up. A wedge, I think, is planted between Sandy and Kirsten, and their relationship starts to not fracture, but definitely crack. There, there are definitely cracks that are starting to happen. And you also have this <laughs> uh, Summer has a new boyfriend who is essentially like a hotter version of Seth. You think he's hotter, Zach? No, I think they both look the same, but I think but but I think the show wants you to think that he's a hotter version of Seth. I mean, I know they want us to think he's a funnier version of Seth cuz remember like Seth was the only person who didn't think he was funny and that was like a whole plot line for like a whole episode. Like he'd make jokes and everyone would laugh so hard and Seth would be like he's not funny, you guys. Right. Like, he was bootleg they- Seth Cohen. <laughs> But then they're like, um, but then they're like, oh, like he plays water polo and his like family and like, you know, he can speak fluent Italian and like he cooks. He's supposed to be the show is trying to code him as a more like debonair, like hotter version of Seth. But I, I think they're just the same. Yeah, definitely. He's supposed to be like the more cultured Seth. So I guess Seth is like the bootleg version of Zach. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we have those two and they're sort of like going head to head for for Summer Roberts. And that will be that will continue throughout this throughout season two. I actually Uh, like this plot line as like kind of like juvenile as it was it kind of reminded us that a this is a kid's show b this is what a lot of high school relationships are like and c summer has options too well she can do she can do the 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 the, the love triangle too <laughs> that's true you're right that that is actually the love that the love triangle between zach summer and seth is a super fun one and once again i think the show makes it work um and it i think the reason why it works and it doesn't come off as like toxic is because the show doesn't take it too seriously i think the show has fun with it um and allows the actors to have fun with it and um doesn't like try to make it too dramatic you know what i mean right it's the love triangles are very lighthearted like the most intense it ever got was the one between Marissa, Alex, and Ryan. And that's because, you know, like Alex said, they made that shit go so far left. I feel like they were looking for a way to get Alex off the show. And so they turned her character into incredibly possessive territorial person. 
Right. They, yeah, that, the love tangle between Alex, um, Marissa and Ryan does get like super intense and it gets intense for like no real reason. The show tries to justify it. Uh, and they have a scene where Alex is like, you know, I really love you. Like, I'm not normally like this, but like, I'm really into you and I don't want and I need to know if you're into me or if this is just like a phase. Ugh. And but it, it just. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, like the beginnings of Marissa and Alex's relationship is actually really beautiful and really like tender and really sweet. And it's almost like uh, a mirror for how how things started with Ryan where she's very much into this person. She's trying to spend time with this person. There's a lot of like intimacy between them, even before they share a first kiss and it's so well done. And the way things ended between them, where they had an honest conversation, they hug, they part without any like toxicity or animosity between them is so well done. But the in between where like Marissa's basically being like, useless because she's she's used to being taken care of and then alex becomes really toxic and possessive well that latter bit i could have done without (laughs) yeah and alex like threatens to like beat up ryan which is she brought like three guys to the beach to kick his ass you guys i I was like girl that is crazy (laughs) you're doing a lot fam you're You're doing doing a lot like i'm like stop what um it was so bad it was was so bad but it was kind of like even that was kind of hilarious because she was like, I bought my squad. What's good? That was as toxic as it ever got. And I, and like a part of me is glad it didn't go further than that. And like, we didn't have like another Oliver situation on our hands. Oh my God, <laughs> <We> just, Oliver. <laughs> Oliver was horrible. It was great, but it was horrible. So then sort of this mid-season around episode 16, we have, like, the entrance of Ryan's big brother, Trey, played by, um, I think I said this last episode, but I'm going to say it again, Um, Tom Hardy doppelganger. Um, (laughs) Logan, what's his face? Um, He's he's low-budget Tom Hardy for sure. He is low-budget Tom Hardy for sure. Listen, all I'm saying is Google the... Listeners, Google the invitation and then get a screenshot of him in that movie. This is like the that's the same guy who plays Trey. And then Google a picture of Tom Hardy and tell me that like they're not related. Um, Sometimes I wonder what it's like in Hollywood when there's an A-lister who exists, who has your face. <laughs> like imagine being like a C or D list actor or like even the, on the B list. Right. And there's already someone who's like a noteworthy celebrity who has your exact fucking face. What does that, what does that feel like? It means like you better be good at your shit. Like, be, but it's so many people like, you know what I mean? Like Katy Perry, Zoe Deschanel and like one other girl all look the same. Like Hollywood does it over wow. and over again. They have all right. these actors and actresses that look exactly like each other. But it's I'm like for Katie and Zoe though, because one's a singer and one's an actress, right? Like I don't think if if Katie were an actress, she'd be a successful one because we have Zoe Deschanel. You know what I mean? Um, you're right though. Um, but like, there's like a there's like a website that like that's like that does it like what celebrities look like each other, and when you really start looking at them, I'm like, you're like, damn, like 
because it's a lot. It's a lot of them that like are entertain interchangeable, like visually they do. They all really do look like each other, but yeah, I think that's weird. It must just be like you, I would sell it. I'd be like, girl, you, you can get Tom Hardy on a budget B like, come on. Like, right. Like he'd probably be charging like 5 million to be in this movie. And I'm only charging you one. So, right. So (laughs) come on. My agent says I can do this movie for only $1 million, you guys. That's more money for your production. <laughs> That's more money for your production. That's more money for post. Like, let's get it. Like, let's go. I will. That's how, that's how. It's like, yeah. I'm bargain basement, you know. If I'm bargain basement, Jennifer Hudson, y'all get in this. Like, you can have it. Like, oh my God. But then they're going to want you to, like, hold that note from Dream Girls for the five minutes that J HUD did. Oh, girl, no. <laughs> Listen, no, that's why I bargain basement. Like, <laughs> oh. oh my god! No, but back on the OC, you guys. We first meet Trey on the very first episode of the OC, and he's he's been in and out of like juvie and lockup before because he's been doing some criminal shit for a while now, and he's encouraging Ryan to do it as well, which is where Ryan has his first run-in with the law and he meets Sandy. So again, this show doesn't dispose of people and it brings Trey back when he gets out of prison. Cause they did say that he was only going to be like in prison for like 18 months or something. Ryan has to contend with his past again. He's released in episode 20, like not episode two, Oh my God. Season two, episode 17, the brothers grim is when, um, Trey is, uh, released and comes back to be like a presence in the show. We sort of see Ryan sort of once again, enter, enter the sort of, you know, mom mode into, or like fix, like, like I have to fix it mode because we see that Ryan also has to really work to keep Trey's life back on track. And a reason why I love I love like when Trey comes back is that I think we get to see a sort of glimpse of like what their relationship was like before Ryan came to Newport. And we sort of see that Ryan has always been the one. I think we realize why Ryan is such a captain save a hoe, because like, that's just what he's had to do with everybody in his life. And it's, and he doesn't really know how to be any other way. Right. Um, I agree with Alex completely. He's always been the fixer for his brother and for his mother. And what I really like, a lot of people don't really catch the way that I feel like they should catch is that Ryan is not the older brother. Um, this is a dynamic that I've seen. Oh, this is a dynamic, a dynamic that I've engaged in. But he is the younger sibling who has to, like, step up into that older sibling role because the older sibling dropped the ball a long time ago and is simply not responsible. And if Marissa is a damsel in distress for Ryan and his mom is a damsel in distress, his brother is absolutely a dude in distress. He's constantly trying to save and fix really, really self-destructive people. And it's forced him to um, be wiser than his years, but also like sacrifice a lot of what it means to just be like a teenage kid. Because there's always been these people who relied on him in some form or fashion and like Ryan, Ryan really never has much room to breathe, even when he's in a better environment, because he still has these people in his life or these types of people in his life. Right. And so through by the time Trey gets back, Ryan and Marissa have once again reconciled. And funny enough, I think that Marissa 
Marissa also, I think, enjoys Trey, like, is happy for Trey's presence in the fact that, like, she can now, now that she's, like, in a better place, she's not drinking anymore, she's, you know, back at Harbor doing well, you know, Marissa, I think, is really trying to prove to Ryan that she can be stable and she doesn't need saving anymore. So that's why Marissa sort of works over time as well to, like, help Trey out. I think Marissa's trying to prove that, like, she can be, like, a good partner to Ryan and that it won't always be Ryan saving her and Trey being who Trey is just you know, it just ends in disaster. Um, I was saying it's interesting about Marissa because I, I agree with you that I think that she was trying to prove to Ryan that she wouldn't, he wouldn't have to like fix her and save her for the rest of their relationship together. But I also li- like that dynamic of her trying to get her shit together and help Trey because this is actually something that, um, you know, um, alcoholics and other addicts are told to do when they're trying to be sober is to like, you know, help other people. And being of service is actually a, a, something that keeps a lot of people sober. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Marissa was Trey's unofficial sponsor. <laughs> you know, she wanted to help him. She really wanted to help him for Ryan's sake. And she wanted to stay sober basically to set a good example um, for him, right? And like you said, it ended up backfiring, but I really liked this dynamic because I felt it was really true to life of someone who's like trying to pick their life up and start clean. And I love what you said about Marissa being Trey's unofficial sponsor, because that is so, so, so correct. That's exactly what she was doing. Marissa using her resources and her privilege to really help. I mean, Marissa pays the the down payment on Trey's apartment, you know, Trey, yeah, she pays that first and last month's rent because she knows he can't afford it because of the job, because, you know, he is working at a minimum wage job. She helps, she pays for, you know, new clothes, like interview clothes. She pays for a bunch of stuff to like really help him out. Um, She sells like old crap that's like in there house in order to help him get, you know, other vital resources that you need when you are on probation and you're coming out of prison. And she does it, in, like you said, because one, she has the resources, she can afford it. It's not like Julie's doing anything with the money. And two, because she's trying to help. And this like in turn helps her and it just goes. And because Trey is just I think a man trash trash. And because he's a man, he just completely misinterprets it. And what ends up happening. Oh, I was going to say, it's interesting that you say that um, because Marissa had a similar, not definitely not on this scale, but a similar interaction with Teresa and Teresa never misinterpreted it. And it's interesting um, that his brother Trey was portrayed this way because this is so many men. They are incapable of having a woman be nice to them without thinking she wants to fuck. Right. And it's wild (laughs) because it's, and it's particularly, and so when everything that happens with them happens, you know, he's so dumbstruck. He's like, I know you've been coming on to me. You've been helping me. She's like, 
because you're my boyfriend's brother. <laughs> like, right. She says that to him. She goes, I, she's like, I love Ryan. Like, I love him. Like, why are you doing Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you being like this? Like, why would you even, why would this enter your mind? And it's like you said, it's so great because it's so true to life. It's so real. Like that is exactly what would happen. Um, Cause like I don't even smile when I leave my house. (laughs) I don't even smile. Like, cause it's exactly what you say. It's like, you're just like, and the fact that he is so scuzz, like, you know, she's like, I don't, and poor Marissa. Cause it's so real. Marissa does not understand like in any sort of way, like how he can like jump to, she wants to have sex with him because it's like, no, like we're friends. And like, I am, I granted your brother's penis has never entered me, but, but like we've done other stuff. So like, I need you to like, under, I don't get like why you think that he does attempt to like rape her and she does fight him off. But then everything, everything goes completely south because, you know, everybody agrees not to tell Ryan. She doesn't want to tell Ryan because and even just her actions after the attempted rape feel just so like exactly like what a woman would do. It's like she doesn't want to tell Ryan it's going to cause more issues. She doesn't really want to tell anybody. She just wants it to like not because it's like what like what is the value? Like she's trying she's weighing the value of like people knowing in her mind and you know she determines it's going to do more harm than good so like whatever let's keep like whatever I'm over like whatever but she's not over it because like now it it has like because of her PTSD of it and because of her trauma around it like she can't like be physical with Ryan in the way that like she's you that she's used to and that he's used to and, and it comes between them and and then people do find out and Ryan does what Ryan does and, you know, goes ballistic. And then Trey almost um, kills him, almost beats him to death. And Marissa sort of comes in while it's happening and she sees, and then there's a gun and she, she shoots Trey and it's, uh, and that's how the series, um, that's how season two ends. And it's, banana. I mean, Shout out to the show because, like, when it ha- even rewatching it when it happens, I'm like, wow, that was banana nuts. Um, it still hits, you guys. It, it still hits. Still <laughs> hits like really hard. So shout out to the show. Um, and then other stuff that's happening. Julie's porn tape, which is amazing, which is an amazing plot line. Also, Julie did like porn. I guess back when, because like we said, Julie Julie Cooper has never been a broke bitch. She does not never. know that life. Never. She's allergic whole, to it. She's <laughs> allergic to the. So you know, Julie has like a porn out there that someone's blackmailing her with, like you know, revenge, revenge porn, except it's actual porn. And then uh, she's sleeping with Jimmy again. So she's cheating on Caleb and Caleb finds out and Caleb's getting ready to divorce her. And funny enough, but he's divorcing her right before she's about to get the two million and the prenup. So Julie decides that she's going to poison Caleb and kill him. But then she can't go through with it. Right. And then Caleb mm-hmm. dies anyway. <laughs> the timing is impeccable. The yeah. timing is impeccable. 
I wanted to stand up and applaud. Fucking, um, she 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 must have been like a savior of like you know orphan children in her past life or something. I don't know. <laughs> like I don't even know. We also see like this person Carter come into Kirsten's life, and Kirsten almost cheats, but she doesn't quite cheat. She she has an emotional affair essentially, and. And Kirsten's drinking now worsens um, and becomes unsustainable. Um, And then, you know, Zach and Summer and Seth, that whole trio, that resolves. And it's like, you know, Seth, like we always knew it was going to be. You said a lot. So I want to address like the string of things that we just said right now. So going back to Trey real quick. I like that the, the the way that the Trey character was handled, and one of the best things I like was that the writers didn't actually write in a rape. So um, take notes, all the writers out there. Rape is a really cheap plot device. If you absolutely need it, an attempted rape hits the same for the audience, or but far less traumatically than putting an actual rape or an implied rape on your fucking show. Please don't do that. Please don't. We don't need your character to be like raped and brutalized on the show. Please. So thank you to the OC writers for not having Marissa be raped on the show. That was great. Julie's, um, Julie's porn tape. I thought this was a really great way of giving the character a complexity that had nothing to do with Marissa's feelings about her or any other, any of her husband's or ex-husband's feelings about her. Um, this kind of pulls us into whatever life Julie had before she was a married woman and before she was a mother. And I appreciated that. So shout out for that. The last thing you mentioned was Kristen's drinking. Right. So, um, full disclosure, I am not someone who drinks. I hate the taste of alcohol. I don't drink. I've tried alcohol, tried different types. They all tasted bad to me, so I don't drink. But for me, the line between a person who drinks every time they feel upset and an alcoholic is a very fine line. And Kristen is a character that was foreshadowed from the beginning as you know, always needing her nightly drink when she comes home from working with her father um, because she works for her father at the Newport Group or needing a drink when in a stressful situation. Her character fighting alcoholism later, I thought was actually a really brilliant storyline. Instead of introducing a whole new person who was an alcoholic, just show us the progression of her alcoholism. You're right. And it is done subtly and, and very beautifully. So if I had to pick... Uh, some iconic episodes from season two. I would definitely pick season two, episode one, The Distance. Sorry, season two, episode five, The Snow Sea. Season two, episode six, uh, The Chris, the Chrismica. That almost didn't happen. Season two, episode 15, The Mall, The Mall episode. That's a cute. Right. Uh, <laughs> it is cute. Season two, episode 14, The Rainy Day Women. You should watch that even because there's like a great scene in it. That's like a, it's a real blast to the past reference to like, like the, you know, the very first Spider-Man movies. Um, Yes. There's a great like homage to that very first Spider-Man movie in rainy day women. And it's great. And then season two, episode 17 of the brothers Grimm season two, episode 20, the OC Confidential, <laughs> season 
uh, to episode 22, The Showdown, and then season two, episode 24, The Dearly Beloved. I agree with all of those. I liked all those, especially Rainy Day Women. I thought it was really cute. If you watch the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, then I th- and you enjoyed it, I think you'll enjoy this episode in particular. Um, so what do you think of season two, Alex? Is it good, bad, or basic? I say season two is good. Um, it was. I was not sure it was going to be good, but I think it's good. I think there's lots of, there's, there's lots of stuff that happens. And I think we get to see like these characters develop more and they deepen and you should watch season two, if nothing to see this amazing, like TI like sequence. I don't know. Then that's season two, episode 21, the return of the Nana. There's like this long ass, like TI sequence that you could tell was like some sort of like Fox, like branding. It's like, are the black kids watching? Let's get the black kids. (laughs) It's like the black kids. Like we need more Negroes watching. Um, (laughs) So that's great. You should do that. But I think it's good. What about you, Em? Um, TI sequence aside, I actually really loved season two. Season two was one of my favorite seasons, and I absolutely think it was better than season one, low key. I liked um, the entrance of Trey, not just because we get to know even more about Ryan. And like you said, we get to know what his relationship with his brother was always like prior to his brother's incarceration. But Marissa is tested. Her sobriety is tested in a major way um, dealing with Trey in the aftermath of the attempted rape. I like that season two, you know, puts um, Summer out there as like a smart person. And, you know, we were talking earlier about his his parents kind of biases clouding them. Seth absolutely came at Summer with a very um, sort of bias that she was really, really pretty, but really dumb. All these years, he's been, he'd been pining over her. He'd never seen her as someone intelligent. Summer really showed herself as kind of like a, a force to be reckoned with, like an intellectual force to be reckoned with. And I think that had our boy Seth shook a little bit when he realized, okay, she's not just pretty with good tits. She's smart. Right. What do I bring to the relationship now? Because I thought I was the brains, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like a lot of people are tested on the show and a lot of people are exposed and my good bitch, Julie Cooper kept her bag, kept her bag. Like I just Julie Cooper, nickel. I'm sorry. You guys Julie Cooper, Julie Cooper, nickel, nickel, kept that bag, kept that bag. So season three picks up right after the like intense season two finale once again i really need to stress how like great this show is in terms of like when when they do something um intense they stick with it uh it picks season three uh episode one the aftermath picks up right after trey is shot and we see seth ryan and marissa all you know rush trey to the hospital um and the ambulance comes in and all this and like all the sort of chaoticness of that. Uh, and then we, and then for the next couple of episodes, we're dealing with what's going to happen in terms of, you know, who's going to jail because Ryan's does have a record. You know, he was in juvenile detention. He was on probation. He could go to jail for a very long time for attempted murder. We, the show sort of leans in and deals with all of that. Um, It's like Alex said, a lot of shows could skip right over this, right? They could be like three months later. Right. And they usually do. 
And they usually do. And this is what I like to call the skipped parts. And Misha Barton, by the way, was also in a movie called The Skipped Parts. Check that out if you're into indies. But this is what I like to call the skipped parts. And for me, having skipped parts in a show, depending on how much time you have, right? Like if you only have like six episodes, I get it. When you have as many episodes as the OC had, there's no excuse for skipped parts. I think it's a mark of poor writing. And like I said, like my trio of like good writing and good character development is like, where does love, accountability and grief come in? A lot of people write these skipped parts or or write don't write these these parts and just skip right over them because they don't know how to handle character grief appropriately. But the OC does. Like that grief and that trauma and that tension that comes from like a high stress um, situation is something that the writers of the show do really, really well. This is something that we also saw handled really well on Buffy when um, Buffy's mom, Joyce, dies. Like your audience can handle grief. Like we know what grief is like. We know what it's supposed to look like. So you not writing it is a personal choice. It has nothing to do with views. Because I remember this third season of the OC, probably not since the pilot episode, had a season premiere had generated as many views as this. You know, the cliffhanger on season two when Marissa shoots Trey is enough. We're tuning tuning in now. We want to see the aftermath. We don't want to skip to three months later. So thank you, writers, for doing that. Season three. So season three, we uh, Kirsten is uh, still in rehab. She hasn't quite she's she's gone to rehab through like an intervention from her family and Caleb has died and the boys are everyone's sort of gearing up um for you know the beginning of senior year season three marks the amazing the introduction of the lovely and talented and amazing um Taylor Townsend I love Taylor. I love Taylor. Uh, she's not so lovable in season in season three, but she will absolutely get there. Um, I loved. I think I love Taylor because I think Taylor's like a true blue millennial. Um, I think she's probably the most accurate portrayal of like millennial women like on the show, and that like she's super type A. Like every like she's like intensely dedicated to. I think her academic academic and future success and and really and you know crazy so <laughs> right <laughs> who shot trey trey does wake up um but marissa does eventually come clean about her being the one to shoot trey and subsequently because of it she's kicked out of well she's not kicked out of harbor well she is kicked out of harbor because of it because she's there is like a new headmaster and she violates the rules and he doesn't want her back. But um, also we find out that Caleb upon his death was Bernie Madoffing all these people <laughs> as well. Um, Caleb was broke, broke, broke. And he was embezzling money from the Newport group to pay sort of, he was robbing, you know, Peter to pay Paul. And so the money that Julie was supposed to get, she can't get because there is none um right well he was robbing peter to pay himself self <laughs> like <laughs> and uh so with that um julie so with that marissa has to go to public school uh julie 
is back in the trailer, which she swore to God she would never be. So I know my girl is like, she is, ugh, she's never been more distraught in her whole life. And that's where we are for this sort of first half of of season three. Oh, and then Mariah, Marissa and Ryan finally have sex for the first time throughout the whole series. It's yeah, I thought that was way. interesting too. Um, so I'm going to go back to, like, I'm going to go, just go through all the points that you made. Um, first, Trey, um, no, excuse me, Tracy, Tracy Town, Taylor, Taylor Townsend. Why do I keep saying Tracy? Taylor Townsend. So Taylor Townsend's character was actually based off of Reese Witherspoon's character, Tracy Flick, in the movie Election. I love it. She was it, supposed to be it. like a toned down, more likable version of Tracy Flick, and she nails it. If you haven't seen Election, check out that movie because it is a really great dark comedy that still hits like every single note. Um, it's starring Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick. But if you've seen that movie... And you've seen um, the OC and you've seen Taylor, you know exactly what we're talking about. The parallels are just like bright as day. (laughs) Um, About um, Marissa and Ryan, though, I thought it was heavily implied that they'd already been having sex. But then like it becomes a whole thing in season three. And then I realized, oh, they hadn't had sex before. They just came really, really close, which kind of like makes you like, huh? Because she slept with Luke. She and Alex had sex like very, very, very quickly. So it's almost as if like the show's trying to solidify the idea that she and Ryan are each other's like great loves because they waited so long, which is, it's kind of like 90s after school special, but it works. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, you're, you're right. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to say by it. Like, I, I, I feel like you're right that they're just trying to, but I don't know that that, I guess that doesn't like hit for me. It doesn't. It really don't. It doesn't. Like, it doesn't hit for me. Like, there has to be like a better, it just doesn't hit for me. Like, I Right, like, I guess, like, I see what you're trying to do, but you you missed the mark, honestly. You missed the mark, honestly. Like, and, like, maybe it would have hit differently if, like, Marissa hadn't had sex with anyone in all this time, and she was still a virgin, and Ryan hadn't had sex with anyone else, but, like, he slept with Teresa, she slept with Luke and Alex, and but they're coming together, it's supposed to be this monumental thing, and I'm just like... I guess <laughs> even the way, listen, even when they come together, it's like they shoot, like it happens in like, cause Seth steals this like prop from the school play and they set it up on the beach and, <laughs> and it's, sh- but in the way it's shot, it's shot, like it's intercut with like her dad being beat up. So it doesn't even, so it's, it, that like further like cheapens it. Like it further makes it feel like it's not that important. Like it's intercut with Jimmy, like, cause Jimmy is supposed to is, and this is the last time we'll see Marissa's dad. Jimmy sort of convinces Julie that he's like fell into more money, but it's a lie. He's actually broke again. And these, uh, you know, loan sharks come to collect and they beat him up. And this, and you know, the scene with like Ryan and Marissa having sex is intercut with like Jimmy being beat up. And so, uh, with, you know, the next morning sort of them being Ryan and Marissa cuddling, but then cutting to Jimmy telling Jimmy telling Marissa that like 
he's just got to go. And Marissa sort of like being disappointed, but like understanding who her father is. Um, right. And that he's always been this sort of like unreliable fuck up. person. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> up an unreliable person in her life. So, so like, yeah, like you said, it just, it doesn't, it just doesn't hit. It doesn't hit. Yeah. I was going to say they should have just did what you said and have just, like gone with this idea that like they've always been having sex, but like this is just and this is just one time that they're doing it again. They right. should have just written something in there like that. Like maybe had them do it and then reference like the past or something or whatever. Right. I think if you're gonna make a big production out of them sleeping with each other for the first time, that should have been done in season two when he came back to Newport. IJS um like they're just so happy to see each other again he feels unencumbered because you know as far as he's concerned Teresa's not having his baby anymore and he does a thing that he should have done when he was still in um Newport Beach and consummates their relationship like or it would have hit different <laughs> or you do it you do it after Alex you do it um after she breaks up with Alex there were like or, so many opportunities in season two. It was ridiculous. Two. Yeah. <laughs> or you do it. Or I thought it would have worked during like the mall episode. I think you mm-hmm. could do it during the mall episode because like they even on that in season two, um, on that episode, they, you know, they're in the mall. It's dark. It's quiet. And like Seth and Summer are in one tent and Mariah and Ryan and Marissa are in another. I would have just, and they sort of build it that like it's tense for them to be that close. And they just should have, they just should have had them go for it. If yeah, like if you're trying to make a big production of it. Yeah, I think after Alex um, would it be a good one. I don't know about the mall episode simply because she was still with Alex at the time, and I know the show never wants to code Marissa as a cheater, even when she was with Luke, right? And she was clearly into Ryan. Like her and Luke were over over before she and Ryan actually were honest about their feelings for each other. The thing with Jimmy, too, like you said, the cutaway scenes of seeing Jimmy get beat up when her and Ryan are together for the first time. This was probably like the one shot of all the shots of all the episodes of the OC in 92 episodes that was like absolute and utter trash. Um, <laughs> like, like, no, you're right. Like, it's, the intercuts <laughs> are so dumb. I'm really upset with them. I'm like, I need to, I, I really want, I'm going to go back and look like who directed that episode because like, that's a dumb choice. It's like, I just don't understand. I, we can't even get into the moment. Like her dad is like bleeding like every two, three seconds. We have to cut. Don't do that. Like, I hope that's what I'm saying. So I'm like, they make it a big production and then they just cheapen it for like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Jimmy and Julie are interesting people because she's a woman that is like grew up poor and like secured her bags because she's allergic to being to being a basic broke bitch. And Jimmy's someone who's like old money, but like really shouldn't be trusted with anything more than five bucks. Really should not be. He consistently not just fumbles his bag, but straight up just sets it on fire. <laughs> Every single chance Jimmy has to come out on top. It's like, he's allergic to success. You guys, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. And I can't even understand how frustrating it must've been for someone like Julie to be with someone like Jimmy, because she has a head for business. She has real business acumen. And more than that, she sees shit coming from like a mile away and tries to head it off at the pass. Jimmy doesn't even admit how bad he is with money. 
until he's like, you know, sitting on a wooden crate. What I love about this Jimmy storyline is that it does a lot to just kind of like bring us back to Julie season one and show us like, hey, maybe she's not like the pissed off gold digger. Maybe she's not just like the cruel wife. Maybe she's a woman who's been poor before and doesn't want her children to experience poverty and is livid that her husband would even put their family in that position and put himself in the position to be arrested. Like maybe Julie's not such a bad character after all, because, you know, Jimmy's just shitty with money and his character is consistently in the back half of season three, we meet, um, Marissa and Julie are living in the trailer and, uh, Caitlin, Marissa's younger sister, who we haven't seen since like season one, um, comes back and she's all grown up and we are told we were we're told the show tells us that Caitlin was in boarding school in Switzerland and she's now back um I hate Caitlin yeah so Caitlin is aged up rapidly and like the show does two things that were actually really common in the 80s and 90s with shows um, underutilizing of a younger sibling. Like, first of all, the first, all, all of the, the first two seasons could have been exactly the same if Marissa had been an only child, first of all, especially since, since she spends absolutely no time with her sister. And then the second thing that it does is like, it ages the sibling up when it finally does want to utilize them. When the show opens, Marissa is 16 and Caitlin's nine. Tell me how, this seven-year spread works when Marissa's now 17 and Caitlin comes back home and she's like 14 or 15 years old. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And like, it's a, it's a sort of soap opera. It's a soap opera trick that we're supposed to, you know, just, you know, take and suspend disbelief, but it, it doesn't work. But in general, I think, I just hate Caitlin goes the way of like so many other like younger siblings. Like, um, I think about Tony's younger sister, Effie and there are others, but they're escaping me now. And her character, her characterization goes the same way and I hate it. And I don't know why I, I, I've always hate it when like shows do this. And I always hate how they characterize these younger siblings. Like when they grow them up, like in order in sort of frame them is to be like even worse than their older siblings. And I, I, I don't know why, but I, I hate it every time. And I, and Caitlin's no different. No, I, I completely agree with you. And, um, you know, shout out to baby Shailene Woodley, who played the first Caitlin. Thank you for doing what you had to do. Cause even though we only saw you for a total of five minutes, that was the last time Caitlin was even likable. Um, <laughs> I did not like the new Caitlin whatsoever. Um, and I think it's interesting what you say, how, um, they put her as like a worse version of her sister. I think this is interesting because when we talked about um, the Vampire Diaries and the originals, we talked about characters not really evolving, but when it was time for them to rebrand, the writers would introduce a new character that was a worse version of this person we were now supposed to root for. I definitely think by the latter half of season three, the writers realized that the audience was kind of sick of Marissa's shit and were just like, whoa, whoa, 
what about what about her sister Caitlin, you guys? Because by season three, you know, Seth has grown. Seth has grown up a lot. Ryan has grown up so grown so much. Uh, Summer has as well. And so have all the adults. And Marissa's sort of just there. Marissa's just sort of there. And there's, and granted, we're, I think we're on the cusp of her about to have like another sort of spiral. But the catalyst of that is never quite explained of why she has that spiral. Caitlin definitely feels like a ploy to try to improve, like, improve or to have like someone someone on hand to just throw monkey wrenches into and throw monkey wrenches and create conflict but it doesn't I don't know it doesn't hit it doesn't hit it's just annoying yeah so I might have a theory you know I always have a theory my theory on Marissa Cooper is that um her character fails because I feel like the writers thought that they had done enough early on and i'm going to explain what i mean by this ryan is a character that we have to get to know um summer is a character we have to get to know seth is a summer that we have to get to know with marissa all the cards are laid out in the pilot episode we have this you know nice enough wealthy girl who is 16 years old and i was already like you know more or less a functional alcoholic at best and a sloppy drunk at worst and you can get you can show us her parents right and we can you can show us that dynamic and we can make give her parents these complexities to try to explain away her addiction but at the end of the day marissa's an addict and i thought i think they thought that just making her an addict made her character complicated enough without actually doing more to like keep us interested in her and keep her evolving the thing is even if marissa never got sober Marissa is absolutely one of those characters that, um, unfortunately, things happen to. And we see that the best example of this being in season one and her interactions with Oliver and her refusal to see him for what he was. I think that the Marissa character and her constant needing of help and her constant blind blind spots and and needing this man she loves to like come through for her every time was almost like the Elena Gilbert prototype. And we, we got sick of her for the same reason that we couldn't get behind Elena. That's fair. That's I, I feel that. So what were your favorite episodes from season three? Right. Uh, My favorite, like that. So season three, episode one, the aftermath, great episode. I want to say season three, episode six, The Swells is really great. Season three, episode 10, The Chrismica bar, mit- bar Mitzvah. All the Chrismica episodes are great and should always be watched. Um, they're, they're just always fun. Season three, episode 15, The Heavy Lifting. And then season three, episode 19, Secrets and Lies. Season three, episode 21, The Dawn Patrol which is so beautiful. It's when Ryan reconnects with like his mother and his mother has been clean and he's trying and invites her to like his graduation. And it's really one of the standout episodes and it's one of the sweetest episodes. Great, great episode. And then season three, episode 24, the man of the year. And then season three, episode 25, the graduates what is with these long ass episodes it's a 20 season three is another like 25 
season <laughs> episodes. They season really order. It in there, but um, like I said, I was cool with it, with the exception of like that clusterfuck ass love scene <laughs> with Ryan and Marissa. It was they actually paced the plots and the subplots really, really well, and we got to see the return of my girl Anna Stern. Um, I love Anna so much, and we got to see her on one of the episodes. Um, it was one or two of the episodes when like Anna kind of makes like a brief reappearance. I uh, love college seeing- try and the party favor. That's 22 and 23. It was great to see them. Yeah. And then we see Teresa again. Teresa comes back to take Ryan to prom. I love this show. It's honestly, it's done so well. And I'm just like, I miss these people. I miss these people so much. much. Um, I love, 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 love everything that happened this season. Even like Seth not getting into Brown was, I think, like a, a, a greater subplot. Not just because it's like we were talking about like the privilege here, but we're also in relation to Summer. Summer did get into Brown. The thing about Seth, as much as I love Seth, is Seth is written as a character who very much feels that like he's an intellectual superior to Summer. And her getting into Brown when he did not nip that shit right in the bud, and I was here for it. I was here for it. What were your overall thoughts on season three? Was it good, bad, or basic? I think season three, I will still say is good. Um, So one of the things like, you know, season three, we also have, you know, Marissa dies. Um, And funny enough, her death feels very right. Um, I agree with that, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, you know, I think her story just came to an end. And I appreciate that. Well, I think there was other, I think when the show was like airing and like filming, there were like other extenuating circumstances in that Misha Barton was running with that sort of Paris Hilton, Britney Spears crew at the time. And there were like issues. Although I do remember she did not expect to get killed off. And when she did get killed, killed off, she felt some type of way, I think. Cause I remember like press interviewing her about it. And she was like, you know, I don't know. I'm so excited for them though. Like happy to see the new season. She like gave like a really great diplomatic answer. Cringe. (laughs) But, um, Um, but funny, but you know what? She looking at rewatching it now, her character had just come to an end. It, her story, Marissa's story had come to an end. And somehow I feel like the death is, was appropriate no, I was saying um, I agree with you for the reasons um, I stated previously when I was saying how I think the writers put a lot of time into building everyone's character, but they gave her lots of complexity right off the bat and didn't really do much work to create like an evolution in her character. So while it's very risky, I think it's very, very risky to kill off a member of your core four. And I don't think any other show has even attempted to go this route. Um, and there are shows and that I, absolutely should have, because like Archie Andrews really should be dead, but whatever. Elena Gilbert should have died. <clears throat> Klaus should have died. <laughs> um, I think it's these, so a lot of these characters are really useless as fuck, or they've served their purpose. They've run their course and they need to, they need to be ended now. Um, it's a really risky move, but I think it's a good move. I know the show suffered for it. Um, as far as viewership, the last season was the shortest. It was only thirteen episodes, uh, 16 episodes long. Mm-hmm. But I think it was the right move. And I think it was really the only way to keep the rest of these characters that I cared about so much, like on a trajectory towards growth. Because Marissa had become that thing that was keeping them stagnant. 
Yeah, I think Marissa was keeping them stagnant and she you're exactly right. So season four, we pick up um, season four, episode one. And this is the final season of the show is called um, The Avengers. And maybe the show and maybe the show itself was finished because they do exactly what I hate. And they we get like a five months later tag. So we're, we've jumped. We've done a time jump five months later. Um, I will give the OC credit, though, because this is the first time they've ever done that. We sort of pick up with everybody. We see that Ryan has not in college, but he's um, looking for Volchek or like on some sort of spiral of his own uh, due to Marissa's death. He's like cage fighting or whatever. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And then Summer is at Brown with um, Summer's at Brown and she's become like a little vegan activist. God bless her. Sweets. Um, I love that this phase is portrayed on the show because there are white one. girl college phases and this is one of them. It is. It's so one of them with a pre A-list Chris Pratt. Shout out to Chris Pratt. Um, and then we see Seth sort of, you know, meandering uh, his gap year, hanging out, working at the comic book store, hanging out with Summer's dad, <laughs> hanging out with Julie's friends, like the Noopsies, the wives of Newport, generally meandering before he goes off to Rhode Island. Because he eventually got into like some, tri- I, I want to say it's like a like a smaller either a trade school or like a smart, smaller, like arts college in Rhode Island. And he's Mm -hmm. just sort of waiting the year out before he and summer can be together in Rhode Island. Uh, And then we see uh, Julie, Julie's sort of catatonic and not, uh, and not really dealing with Marissa's death. And Caitlin is, you know, being Caitlin annoying. I don't even know. I don't even know. Right. Like, you know, this is what I was talking about too. And I said that I feel like Marissa is a character that caused other characters on the show to become stagnant. No one more so than Ryan and her mother, Julie. These are characters that have made a lot of personal growth, but we, in Julie's case, we don't acknowledge it, right? Because Marissa is one of our um, protagonists or our core four. We started seeing that like, you know, Marissa, Julie's not a bad person. She's not a bad mother. She's she's made a, a few huge missteps, but a lot of Marissa's like acting out behavior and like she's stuck in constant rebellion mode just got really old and really tired. Season four is exactly what we talk about in terms of like high school shows have that just don't know what to do <laughs> after the kids go to college everybody can yeah in season in the oc is just like every other show like it just doesn't know what to do it's having trouble sort of getting to getting to zero well what happens is eventually summer gets kicked out of brown because of some sort of like free the bunnies stunt that her and uh chris pratt's character chet dude che Che. yeah yeah he's like he's trying to be like a mini che Guevara, and they're on some white veganism communist type shit like it's a bastardization of both vegan activism and communism but they it works (laughs) it was a mess and you know we keep referencing buffy but it's for it's honestly for a good reason like buffy did it best and they did it in a very simple manner 
put everybody in the same college. Everybody's right? going to the same college. <laughs> Ever reason. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Just put them all in the same school. Right. Um, which is real. And I don't know why more people don't do that. I'm just like, yeah, just everybody just go to the same college or like stay in like, the same town. Like it doesn't. Like I get what they were doing, right? Because they want to show who these people are on their own. And that's admirable. But y'all should have done that in season two. Like you could have put season one, they were seniors and season two, they're in, in, in college discovering each other and trying to keep this friendship alive. Right now at the, in the last season, it, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hit the way that it should. And most importantly, if you had put them in the same college, it would have made complete and perfect sense in regards to Marissa's death and them wanting to be close to each other. Right. Because like not wanting to lose each other and then having them grieve together. That makes, it does. It works better. Y'all could have been like, look, they got into all these different colleges, right? And that's fine. And they were, they had all these plans, but Marissa died. There are really good colleges in California anyway. So they all decided to just come, even if they, it wasn't the same college, right? Y'all could have had them commute to, you know, ne- different nearby colleges. And like all of them were like still like, you know, within an hour of each other because they just needed that for their grieving process. And then the show could have ended when they finally realized we do have to go our separate ways and like they're on to different things in different states. Yeah. I could have done that. <laughs> right. So summer, like I, so, but the way they get back to zero is that Seth stays home, Ryan comes home and then summer gets kicked out of Brown and comes home and everybody's home with yeah, and summer's behavior was kind of like weird to me too, because like summer wasn't really ever a joiner like that. Right. Like, like, when I thought about people who would get kicked out of college for this exact same shit, Summer was not on the list. <laughs> I thought she would have, like, the white girl college phase where, like, she'd become, like, a pseudo-intellectual or at least start sleeping around or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I guess, like, in a sense, Summer in Brown regresses, too, because I guess Che is, like... Because if you think about Summer first season summer is somebody who went just went along with like marissa was like the destructive one and summer sort of just went along with it right um so i guess if you think of like marissa marissa dies and then summer going along with che is a regression as well it's her trying to refine herself it's her trying to refine herself i guess in a different context does that you make no that makes that makes perfect sense actually you're right <laughs> that makes complete and total sense um i guess the grieving process was handled in that way where everybody's trying to like basically going off script and out of character because they don't know how to deal post marissa right and then and then taylor is taylor's around and, and hanging out yeah, Taylor she gets just, married. Like, Taylor gets yeah. Taylor does get married, and then she gets divorced <laughs> immediately when she comes back to California. <laughs> um, and that ends up being an amazing plot line later. This show and married and engaged teenagers was something else. I'm like, something it's else. twenty, it's two thousand and, and 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 four or five now. Like, who is wifing up all these eighteen, nineteen, seventeen year old girls? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so in episode four. Uh, Ryan kisses Taylor for the first time and we sort of see like him like finally have I guess a romantic interest 
in someone, not that he's super ready to be with her. Um, but cause you know, he's going through his own stuff, but, uh, the next episode is so worth it <laughs> because Taylor just like tailors and she gets, and at like 9am in the morning, she comes over to like the Cohen household, uh, with this like Bridget Bardot, like hairstyle. And, um, uh, the the girls are like pushed up and she's like in this amazing dress just to bring Ryan coffee. And I'm just like, Taylor, I love you so much. Yo, you she's like, she's trying to get she's trying to get her man. She's, she's trying, trying to get to- her man. Ryan does eventually, like in a sort of in a very in a tried and true like dream type episode, gets I think he and Taylor get like hit on the head and they they both go into like a coma in the hospital and then they like share the, they share like the same dream together. It's actually a very, it's weird. It's a weird episode that happens on, on the OC because it's such a, because the type of episode it is, it's, it's a hallmark of like soaps and then supernatural shows. I guess the OC is like a soap, but um, it's more for like a supernatural show and it feels I mean, I guess it works, but it it still kind of feels out of place. Uh, Taylor and Ryan, like, share the same uh, coma dream or whatever with Taylor trying to get over her sort of hangups about her mother and Ryan trying to get over his continued grief of Marissa. I agree. I think the episode also felt kind of out of place and it kind of felt like the writers were just like, we need to wrap this shit up. You guys make it sweet, make it hallmarky, like make it work. (laughs) Right. Make it work. Seth proposes out of like fear, out of, out of, out of a sort of like bluff Seth proposes to summer and is not ready. in any sense he never is is he he? never is (laughs) then summer says yes the way it happens is that like seth thinks that summer was gonna say no and then summer knows that he wants her to say no so then she says yes and they're both trying to like chicken like they're playing chicken with each other and they're both you know still going for it and uh that is banana nuts within and of itself and it's so like on brand for their relationship where like they, they these hoes are constantly testing each other. <laughs> they are. Um Summer is even like, you know, he wants me to break he wants me to break the engagement, but you know, I'm going full bridezilla. Like I'm not I'm not gonna say uncle. Also, Chris Brown shows up this season. <laughs> I wanted to forget that. <laughs> Um, uh, I guess like the OC, you know, and this will be like a hallmark of, I think, um, Stephanie Savage and Josh Schwartz shows is that like four seasons in, cause they'll realize, oh, we don't have any black people on this show. We should probably put one in (laughs) like (laughs) thus Chris Brown. And it's weird to see Chris Brown. Cause so Chris Brown plays like. I guess competently, I don't want to say it's good. It's just competent plays this sort of like band nerd who's supposed to be like the antithesis to like Caitlin's, like if Caitlin is like this mean 
girl Regina George figure, which she very much is. Uh, Chris Brown's character is supposed to be like the uh, like black, I guess, Seth Cohen to her, like Regina George, which is strange now to watch. Um, yeah, he was he was absolutely supposed to be like the 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 black Seth Cohen. And it kind of has the effect of like when you're baking something and you put it in the oven and then you forgot an ingredient and then you tried to add it like after it's already been baking for 10 minutes. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's strange now to see it. And I guess this and I guess this happened at the time. This was like pre Rihanna getting beat. But like it's weird. It's just so weird to watch. I'm okay with not seeing black people in certain contexts. You understand me? Um, these like plays for diversity and to get a black demographic came off as exactly that and nothing else. Right. I just, you know, and like I said, I'm of two minds of that. Like I, I agree with that and I feel that, but I also know that like in practice, all that creates is just like black, like they're just like, okay, you said you, we don't have to. So now we won't have to, but we're not going to give you any like institutional help to make your own series either. Like, no, but like, that's just what happened. So, and that was definitely, I think the case in like the early two thousands to from 2000 to like 2015, I, I think. Um, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I, like I said, I think the problem is just so much more than casting. It goes to who the, who's in the writer's room who and who the showrunners are. Um, it, it's, I feel like it's a trickle down, like, like the shit just trickles down from the showrunner on down. You know, a showrunner um, like Julie Pleck and writers like the type she hired um, and it trickles right on down to how the black characters you have, even when you have them, you know, are, can be treated very, very poorly. So um, I think it all starts at the top and it, the shit just trickles on down. And this is why we need we don't just need black representation on camera. We need it even more so, I think, behind camera. Right. Like if there was like real institutional support, I think, of black creators and black writers and and not just black writers but black indigenous black indigenous people black uh, people and indigenous people and people of color in general if there was like a real like okay like we're gonna do what we want to do but like here you guys can really have resources to do what you want to do i think there could be parity um but that's not how hollywood works because they're racist so um I was going to say, so my favorite, so I think um, season four is, uh, it's basic, it's fine, it's clearly like a, um, just, it's a wrap-up season, trying to wrap up everything before the series finale, and I think, and my favorite episodes of season four are definitely must-watches, I think, are season four, episode one, The Avengers, I mean, season four, episode five, The Sleeping Beauty, Season four, episode seven, the Chris Mc, huh? 
and season four, episode 10, The French Connection, which is an amazing episode. Hilarious, hilarious. Uh, Season four, episode 11, The Dream Lover, and then season four, episode 16, The End is Not Near, It's Here. Yeah, I would agree with all of those. I didn't like the last Chris Mocha episode, but I agree with like all the rest of those. Um, So season four, we think it's good, bad, or basic? Uh, it's just basic. It's fine. Yeah, I think it's basic as well. And that is also fine with me because I feel like if it's your very last season, you, you, you're allowed like to slip a little bit and be a little bit basic. We, we are all like, I'll, I'll give everybody like, like a grace season of basicness. Right. <laughs> you can be alkaline I, for this one season, you guys. For this one season. And I think because this the series just had all these really long I think because of those first three seasons had those like really long episode orders with like twenty five episodes per season. I think it's totally it is absolutely fair for like season four to just slip. Right. And you know, I just wanna point this out to what Alex and I said about Marissa's death being necessary. Her being gone from the show is not why it became basic. As far as I'm concerned, it became basic because they were in college and the writers didn't know how to handle them being in college, like Alex said earlier. So, yeah, it was basic. Um, But I'll still watch it, though. That's the thing. Like, it's basic, but it's by no such of the imagination bad. So I rewatched it and I was fine. (laughs) Right. There have been there have absolutely been worse like season like ending like final seasons definitely there have been like worse final seasons and there you have it folks this is everything that made the oc good memorable and a formula worth repeating the oc was and continues to be an oasis in a desert of bad writing and poorly developed characters if you want to either check out or relive the series it's currently streaming on hulu If you haven't already, be sure to check out our patrons exclusive, the OC inspired Spotify playlist and tune in next week when we'll be discussing the CW's Gossip Girl. Look out for the next patrons only season recap episode, which airs this Saturday featuring Amazon Prime's The Boys. Em and I will be discussing what made the first season of this anti-superhero drama so binge-worthy. Follow the good, the bad, the basic pod on Spotify to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content, spread the word and become a show producer and patron on Patreon. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly content as well as exclusive bonus material. As always, be sure to check out our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, and of course, be sure to follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.